Hey there, welcome to the Inclusion Solution Live. I am your season six host, Marisha Reese, and this season is from Empower to Me Power, BIPOC Leadership Conversations. I'm so happy to have you here on this journey with me. And in case you missed it, this season we're talking about some of the unique challenges that BIPOC leaders face, especially in dominant group spaces, and how they use their innate power, that me power, to thrive. I am super excited today to welcome my guests, Tammy Jackson and Rochelle Yunan Montgomery. Tammy and Rochelle are both colleagues of mine here at the Winters Group. They are instructional designers on the Winters Group's learning and innovation team. So this means that they design experiential learning engagements for all of our clients. In addition to designing content, they also sometimes facilitate that content and they are great facilitators, if I don't say so myself. 10 out of 10, would definitely recommend, but we're not here to promote their facilitation. We are here to talk about some of the things that they are doing in addition to designing for our clients, and that includes being the lead content designers for our Empowerment Institute, which is our leadership development certification program for Black, Indigenous, and people of color. So welcome to the show. Tammy and Rochelle. So by way of further introduction, we are gonna start with our I am statements and Tammy and Rochelle are familiar with that because we use that often in our learning experiences as well to highlight our intersecting identities and the lived experiences that we all bring into this conversation. So I'll model it and then I invite you Tammy and Rochelle to introduce yourselves with your I am statements. So I am black cisgender, able-bodied woman, a zenial, which means I'm at the cusp of millennial and Gen X. I'm an introvert, a wife, a daughter, a sister, a dog mom, and a current Southerner, but was born and raised in the Northeast United States. So Tammy, I invite you to share your I am with our listeners. Appreciate that, Marisha. What up though, y'all? My name is Tammy Jackson. Um, I actually wrote this down because sometimes I'm like, I can't commit all of them to heart. And that's actually the dope part of intersectionality is that we have many identities. And so if I don't write them down, some of them I actually don't think, uh, think to mention, but I'll start. Um, I'm a black, light-skinned, monoracial woman, uh, cisgender. I'm of generous height and generous size. I am from one of the blackest cities in the nation. I'm very proud of that, despite the fact that I live begrudgingly in Texas. Um, I'm descendant of American chattel slavery. I'm from a working class blue collar family and by proxy, the first generation in my family to attend uh, undergrad or grad school. I have invisible chronic illnesses that um, people cannot see and that affect me daily. I am um, dyslexic. And so if you ever interact with some of my content, you may notice not only some patterns, but also the fact that sometimes you might see a typo. Uh, I am divorced from code switching. I'm a storyteller, a dreamer, a writer, a gamer, a blurred, plus size fashionista. I'm an instructional designer here at the Winners Group. I'm a sister. I'm a little sister. I'm a big homie. I'm a little homie. I'm somebody's baby, somebody's grandbaby. And um, I'm excited to be here. I'm a whole ass human. Nice to meet y'all. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tammy. That was beautiful. So Rochelle, I invite you to also share your I am statement with our listeners. Great. Hey, everybody. Um, I'm Rochelle Union Montgomery. My pronouns are she and her. Um, I am a mixed race, um, Egyptian and white, cisgender, queer woman. I'm a mother of two. Um, I am a little sister, a partner, um, a global wanderer, and a lover of the natural world. Um, I'm a first-generation college graduate. I'm uh, a daughter of an immigrant, and uh, I'm a mindfulness and yoga enthusiast and a student of cultural somatics. Um, and I'm able-bodied, and I think that's all there is to know so at the moment. <laughs> Thank you, Rochelle. And you all, um, you've had you jogged some things. So next time when I do it, I'm going to add a few pieces because, you know, like you said, Tammy, it's hard to remember all the things. I said, oh, yeah, I could have said that too. But thank you both for um, introducing yourselves in that way. So let's get into these questions that I have for you. So um, you did share a little bit about your 
your background when you gave your I am statements, gave a little taste for the listeners. But I wanted to know if you could go a little deeper and share your story, your background, and your experience and how it led you to the work that you do today in diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. Um, you want me to go first? Either one, whoever's <laughs> feeling it. <laughs> jump. All right. Um, it's funny, this question, I've had this question asked me before on panels, and I always say it's just because um, my existence necessitated it. Mm. Um, I didn't think about going into, quote unquote, D&IJ work off riff. It didn't have those acronyms. It didn't have those names when I started off in this work. But at every step of my life, both professionally and um, personally, I've had to teach people how to treat me. I had to teach people how to treat me as a human being. And that was for my own survival. And it wasn't that it happened naturally. It, it came with a lot of pain. It came with a lot of grief. But I noticed that in any intersection that I exist in, because of all the intersections that I embody, I'm always somebody's first something, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm their first interaction with a woman who is 6'3", or their first interaction with a person who doesn't coach. It's always a first. And so that translated into the work that I did. So in every part of my professional journey, I've done advocacy work of some capacity. Also, my mother was a Black Panther. So <laughs> it was, you know, my father got drafted to the Vietnam War. And so, you know, my brother was a hustler. And so it's just kind of those things that kind of makes the gumbo, right? But, it, you know, when you live a life where you have to kind of constantly teach, teach people how to treat you like a human being, that skill, that muscle gets real strong. Yeah. So that's how I got to this work. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for sharing. How about you, Rochelle? Yeah, I think um, in large part, I'm in this work because of a lot of xenophobia that I experienced growing up in the white suburbs of Minnesota, um, particularly around the time of 9-11 when there was so much grief and uh, trauma um, in the U.S., at the same time, my dad was suddenly like feared and people called him a terrorist and um, friends didn't want to come over and play. And, um, you know, I'm I'm very aware of, you know, my proximity to to whiteness and, and racially like that hasn't been as much of a maybe barrier for me. But I think the xenophobia is my like maybe my wound that um, I work to heal personally and also that's sort of my starting point is like as a little girl being told I was different and that my family was like scary. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So I think throughout my life empathy has been important um, to me. I've been someone who sort of like mediates in friendships. I mediate in, in a lot of the spaces that I'm in and I've fallen into that naturally and so this work I think is a really beautiful fit in the sense that um, I'm able to apply those those skills with you know clients um, and and to model and practice as, as best that I can um, taking off you know the blinders and um, starting to see really see differences and celebrate the beauty of that so there's a long boring professional background but that's like the heart-centered <laughs> part of my story of like so I think that wound initially is what brought me to this work. Thank you. Thank you both for sharing. So my next question is, it you know, kind of piggybacks off of this and your lived experiences. So as I shared in the introduction, you both are lead content designers for our Empowerment Institute. So what lived experiences have you drawn inspiration from to help you with designing that content or thinking about how to approach the program um, and how, you know, I'm, I imagine you probably think if I, if I was in these seats, what would have helped me, right? And so what, how did those lived experiences really help to shape the content you design and how you approach doing this work? And either one start, and don't feel like you both have to answer yeah. all the questions. I mean, it's a conversation. So However you want to do. <laughs> Yeah, it's right, a conversation. Right, right. We've been in Zoom for four years. It's all good. <laughs> um, you know, I kind of said it earlier in my introduction, like, 
I've had to teach. I've had to literally learn how learn myself enough and be self aware enough and to use Rochelle's language to like learn what my wounds are, not were, because it's a constant healing. It's going to be forever for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And while doing that, you when you are six three and four hundred pounds and a black woman, like no one lets you forget ever. And so. And society doesn't, and structurally it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Like you were reminded of that reality every single day, not any other intersections that I've mentioned, but those particular just off of that. And so when I think about having to have taught managers like how to treat me better and how to be a, a better advocate because they didn't have any experience with anybody like me ever. And so they were not able to provide air cover. They were not able to provide the proper mentorship because they had not been in a position where someone, I'll say this, many had not been in a position to, where somebody was very honest about their intersections and their identities, be so honest, and how that impacted their experiences at work. Because we're not, we're taught to not talk about these things. Up until four years ago, we're taught to not have a conversation about these things. And so that influenced me for the empowerment work because I was like, oh, I've been doing this. Like I've been teaching people how to survive in these particular structures just by showing up in the way that I chose authentically to do so. And that also comes, and we'll talk about it a little later, it comes a little bit of risk. It's not a little bit, but it can come with a, with risk flat out. And I think that is the thing that the my biggest lived experience is having to ask for what I needed and then learning the tools how to teach other people to mm. show up for me in the way that I need them to show up. And in, in doing so, you by proxy end up making a little bit of room for everybody coming behind you just by proxy, yeah. right? So, yeah. Yeah, I think for me, um, as I uh, started, started supervising folks, like being in a position where I was, um, had the privilege to, support and supervise a team of people, I was just replicating what I had learned from white supremacy culture, frankly, right? Mm-hmm. From dominant mm-hmm. culture. I was just, re- I was like, rinse, repeat. The, okay, I guess this is how we do it. Um, I guess I need to be like punitive and perfectionistic and move with urgency. And okay, so because that's what people get rewarded for. And mm-hmm. so I'll just, and even though that doesn't feel good in my body, it doesn't feel good to my team. Like, I'm pushing myself, I'm pushing us in ways that are unsustainable, in ways that are like, that make people feel invisible. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm like friendly. I was never like, right, you know, outwardly sort of cruel, but, but it, it was always under the surface, like this, it's a hum almost. It's like, a, because it's the water we swim in, you know, and I was really aware of that. I come from collectivist culture. I come from like, where my family would come stay and we would lean on each other and move with like that we'd sort of more flow through life and um I learned very quickly to survive in the world you have to move a different way mm-hmm. and so I also nestled up to whiteness as close as I could right knowing mm-hmm. this is what gets me further and further and further in terms of elevating in my career which right for a while it worked until it until it didn't until I was miserable like until I was in a place where I was policing people for you know I remember this story and Tammy knows this and I love working on this program with Tammy I have to say because we're constantly sharing stories like oh my god this thing happened and oh this happened like with both of us having what 14 15 years of professional experience we are constantly there right so it's it's painful at times to be designing this program because we're we're bringing in a lot of stories. And one that came up that I really am learning and sitting with is I had a colleague, uh, someone that I supervised where English was her second language. And, you know, I was sort of policing her um, grammar or ways that she would communicate. And she's working with students primarily, right? It's not like we're doing like she wasn't like making marketing mm-hmm. materials or something. It's like student interactions, but I was like policing her and sort of being like, no, don't do it that way. And later realized, oh, I was doing that because of the shame I held as a child of someone who spoke English as a second language, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's my own wounding. That's my own pain. So, so often in leadership. So to answer this question, like I draw inspiration from that experience because 
we got to heal that stuff. Like we got to heal our internalized depression. We have to like, at least move in that direction. Healing is lifelong, but we need to be moving in the direction of recognizing where our wounding is showing up in our leadership in particular and how we're taking that out, like on ourselves and the people around us. Um, because there are liberatory ways of leading that can be beautiful <laughs> and that we don't need to move from white supremacy culture norms. Um, we can break free from that. Y'all brought up a lot. So I'm gonna to try to tie it into the next, but I wanna, there's a few points I wanna to touch on because a lot of what you you both shared you know, a lot of our listeners probably, you know, experience the same thing. And what I, what it brings up for me, and as I've been doing this season of the podcast, I know that this program is necessary, but, um, not but, and you think that after this program, the participants are going back into the same water, right? Rochelle, you talk about the water, right? This white supremacy culture. And Tammy, you even talked about the risk, right? It's like, so, <sighs> Part of me in, <laughs> you know, we don't, we want to send, if for this program, we are centering BIPOC experiences, but I, it always takes me to wonder, okay, once they get, you know, they go through this program, they get the tools, right? They start to unlearn some of that, um, how they're even perpetuating white supremacy culture, unlearn or, or learning how to show up and stand up and without any apology, but the place they're going back to is still the same. So is some of that touched in the content or like, how do you, how would you even, yeah, speak to that or, or coach them to like, okay, now that I've gotten all this, but I'm going to go back to the same place where my probably white boss is going to be like, what, 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 I paid for you to come back. Sometimes the boss ain't even white. Sometimes they look like you. Mm -hmm. and they still doing it. And that's I'm, like yeah. going back to that quote, like, just be, baby, just because no, ain't no white people in the room don't mean white supremacy ain't. You exactly. Me? So they're going back to spaces, mentalities, and systems. And so the thing that I think about the most, I think about it, Marisha, is I don't never let, I, personally, Tammy, I can't speak for Michelle, but personally, I always tell people, like, <laughs> my decision was basically to, to be myself didn't come at some easy particular like oh like oh it's so easy right, and i think right. sometimes we see the end results and we're like oh she no baby like just because i carry a well don't mean it ain't heavy mm -hmm. right and i'm a weightlifter and that's just still heavy and so i think about making sure that people understand that it is going to be a journey and being honest with yourself about how you wish to show up is going to inform every decision after that but until you make that decision mm -hmm. You might, and you may find yourself in situations where you have to make a conversation about yourself now. And I'm not saying like, baby, we got to pay bills. Inflation is killing us. Student loan debt. Like we are in a tight space right now. So I don't want to sit here and just go past it. So if you're in a space right now where the bottom line is, I have to make ends meet, then you at the bottom line where you have to make ends meet. But at some point, it's kind of like a hustler's mentality. How do I make whatever I have right now? work so it can get so to a, get to where I next have to go. So what got you here ain't going to get you there. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so I tell folks like, Hey, it, it might be, for instance, for me, I remember distinctly at a job where I was being treated very punitively. And at that job, Marisha and Rochelle, I knew that I just had to make my little bread and had to get, I just pay my little bills. Right. But I made a decision that I was going to make a micro decision. And that micro decision was I was going to do the things that I like to do. And I was going to add color to my wardrobe. That was it. It was all the, it was, the, I, I had the clothes. Like I always dress colorfully my, my whole life, but I was taught by white supremacy that everything about me that was anything ethnic had to be muted. So I just mm -hmm. made that decision. And so the next interview I went to, that wasn't a decision I had to make anymore. So I showed up that way. And I think these are more like building blocks. Right. Then it's the, um, some of this decision, some like the sniper method versus the shotgun method, right? You're being very strategic about where and how until you can grow that X. I'm a gamer. So until you grow XP and you have enough stamina in order to get to that next level. And so it's not this one-off big 
nebulous big bang experience. It might have to be micro over course of time. And you have to make decisions about what's not working for you, just like Rochelle shared for her, for us, right? At some point she got to the point where this doesn't feel good. Right. Right. So Rochelle, how would you what would you add to that? Yeah. I think the magic, the magic and the beauty of the program is that it's the folks that make up the program. It's not about Tammy and I, like it's about once folks are in the room, like we are the glue, right, to hold the space and to, you know, facilitate powerful conversation, bring in, you know, a lot of tools, a lot of support. And it's that when folks are in the program, the hope and my, one of my hopes is that folks can support each other along the way, even just to feel less alone, right? So we'll have ways of getting in touch between sessions through um, a you know variety of platforms to, to touch base. Like, hey, I tried this thing we talked about in session around boundaries, for instance, uh -huh. with my supervisor or you know colleague. It didn't go well, or it did. And just to be able to touch touch in with other people, taking some of those same risks and to say, how'd this go for you? What would you try next time? Like, what do you suggest? So it's it's so much wisdom, even within the group that I think, and especially the folks that we already have coming into the cohort, I'm so excited because there's so much diversity of lived experience. And also I think um, some really interesting roles and professional experiences that people have. And so um, that's, and we, we create a lot of tangible support um, between mm -hmm. sessions when they go back to perhaps toxic or problematic workspaces. And the hope is too, that maybe they find clarity, right? At a certain point where it is time to, to make a shift. Um, and if not, that they can re-clarify and recommit to the things they do love about their work. And, you know, I think like what Tammy said, micro um, ways of resistance, right? Of resisting those toxic cultures. Um, through your maybe more subversive and um, subtle ways that don't get you fired. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. We're not trying to get folks fired, but yeah. No. Um, but that is a risk, y'all. Like, it is a risk. Yes. Like, yeah. Even, and, and it's something that I want to bring into the space of your mind. Yeah. Even when you are doing all the things that white supremacy teaches you to do, you can still find yourself on the bread line. Yeah. You feel me? So like I that is a, a real a reality that I was not ready for when I was younger to like face. I was like, oh, I that's kind of what one of the other things that was an impetus to my experience was like, oh, I did all the things. I stopped, I stopped talking like I, I yearly talk. I'm I code switched so that you didn't know that I was from a working class family. I straightened my hair, I wore the clothes, I lost the weight. I did all the Cirque du Soleil Olympics and I'm still on the bread line or I'm still not getting promoted or I'm still not getting paid the same as my coworkers who aren't black, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so yeah. you I want to make sure that I'm honest and in the understanding that you can do all the things that white supremacy teaches you and still find yourself and a lot of folks after the lynching of george floyd found that to be true for them and then you know they found like i did all the things and then here i am yeah and i come from a city where um this is a little personal a little bit emotional but like i saw that happen to my people so many times over multiple like multiple times losing their jobs, losing their homes, losing their livelihoods and playing the game with perfection. So I wanna make sure that I honor what Rochelle brought to the, into the table and let people know that the decision you have to make is ultimately with you and your soul. Yes. And that, that was, that's powerful because that came up for me when you both were talking earlier that we can, like you said, play this game. We could try to you know, fit in and conform, shrink ourselves and code switch, but we'll be the first one out the door. First one's fight, you know, and it's like, for what? So why are we doing all this when it's, it's not helping us? We're in the sheer point, Rochelle, you, you felt sick, you didn't feel well, you felt, you know, so yes, I think that's really powerful to like for people, like in one of you shared earlier to like, this is something you have to sit down with yourself and really, you have to be self-aware, right? You have to know like who, Am I who 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 am I willing to show up as, or am I willing to show up as my true self? And understanding what that could mean, but 
and even though, you know, I'm going to say, even though you could be on the bread line, but it's like, you have to weigh the, you know, like, is it, you know, me coming in with this mask on every day is not healthy, right? It's not, you know, and so I have to decide at some point, am I going to continue to wear this mask or take it off and then find, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, find that place that will accept me for me. And, you know, like we said earlier, we're not trying to get people like, don't just go mm-hmm. right off and quit. But you might have to quit. Yeah. But no, we're not. Day, <laughs> like, no one about, I lost my job. Oh, oh we didn't mean that. But yeah. I see what you're saying. I mean, but that, that's really powerful because we often and sometimes we don't even know, right, we're doing that. Yeah, that's another yeah. point. Right. And so you have to, I think, even bringing it up and people are like, oh, wow, yes, I do that for them to realize. Um and, and the yeah. Empowerment Institute that Rochelle and I co-designed actually invites our learners to take that journey with themselves, right? Mm-hmm. We're inviting learners to kind of, and this is, and this is an, I use this language in another workshop that I do outside the Empowerment Institute, but we're inviting them to like really spend some time with their own origin story. Why is this value to me? Why is this important to me? Where did I learn this? How did I get to this place? Because we're not taught to do that exercise, that is interpersonal exercise, in order to, to like win in a cap, in a in a capitalistic white supremacist society. Like we're not taught that. It's not. It doesn't behoove us to take that exercise. And our learners will have to do that that hard work as well. We're going to teach them skill sets mm-hmm. how to navigate these systems. We're going to be teaching them skill sets how to navigate themselves as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that. I love it. I love it. I want to, um, so I have a question around just why you think the program is necessary, but I wanted to share with the listeners too. So this, we, the Winters Group was intentional that the designers are BIPOC and design the program. Um, so it's by BIPOC and for BIPOC. So when, when you think about like why this, the Institute is necessary, I also want to know if you could share, why do you think it's ne- like that was important to make sure that the designers um, or BIPOC, and also that just sharing with our listeners the importance of having um, a space where it's all BIPOC, where they're together versus, right, having a mixed group. Oh, why can't this be a mixed leadership program, right? And so if you can share some of that in your response to just why this, just overall, why this, you feel this program is necessary. Where to begin? Oh, man. Where to begin? Well, I think, so to the first part of your question, Marisha, around who's designing, right? So our co-chairs, Mary Frances and Terrence, um, Tammy and I, so the four of us really working together um, is important. I recognize the privileges I hold being mixed race. Like, I think it's really important that we are, um, first and foremost, clear with each other about the dynamics even within our small little group of four people designing. So we need to have that critical awareness of our intersections. And that's why I'm so grateful to be working, you know, specifically with Tammy, more kind of in depth doing the design work. um, Because through story sharing, story listening, we are breaking our hearts open, right? And witnessing each other uh, as we recall these different stories and then then attempt to, okay, now let's, let's turn this into a curriculum that can be helpful for folks. We're always talking about how BIPOC is such this, <laughs> there's pros and cons to that term because right. my God, like the variety of lived experiences even within that um, mm-hmm. is important to, to know and address well ground and i want to invite tammy to speak to this more but just grounding into the realities of anti-blackness within and amongst communities of color and how that can show up and so we are clear that that's something at the forefront as we design um, and recognizing even how we might be perpetuating any of these things that we're trying to also teach on right um so tammy i don't know if there's anything you want to add to that yeah, I think like, you know, whenever we, and we're in a, we're in a particular time right now, currently, where if you say the word anti-Black, Black race, any of that, people get, people, people get shook. That's, that's kind of where we're at right now. And, you know, it's funny because anybody who lived long enough knows that this is not the first rodeo. You feel me? Like, if you've had enough time to live long enough, you, you see this is cyclical. But 
what doesn't change is how our society has benefited from two major components, which is the genocide of indigenous peoples on this on this land that we all live on and the uh, free labor of enslaved African descendants. So there is a particular type of insidiousness to anti-blackness because it makes it so that there's a there's a saying in the military um and it goes like shit rolls downhill like and that's from the roman empire right like the actual cat like the aqueduct rolled down here when people would have to use the restroom to the people from the top from the very very bottom and we see this play out over and over and over again in our societies because we have most of our systems are based off of hierarchy and just because we all experience oppression doesn't mean we experience this the same, myself included, like Rochelle was saying. So just because I'm a black woman who's monoracial doesn't mean I don't get a lot of privileges for my skin not being light, right? Mm -hmm. And that is something that that is, if I want to be a leader, if I want to make change, I have to come to terms with all the ways in which I also benefit from anti-blackness, right? Mm -hmm. And I also benefit from this, this particular thing that tells us in order for me to succeed, somebody has to be at the bottom and somebody has to be at the top and we can all fight for the middle. And I wanted my learners to have to take that journey themselves, not just people who are not black, but people who are also, who may also identify racially as black. Um, there's a TikTok going around with a few Gen Z creators and I can't remember their name, so I had to look them up. But one thing they were bringing to the table was they are now inter interrogating that all your skin folk and kin folk, and they are talking about openly how some of their biggest ops or their worst potential leaders have also been people of color. Mm. And I'm listening to the I'm listening to the shorties talk about that and like deal with that realistic. And if I'm being honest, I've had similar experiences. And I want us to see, like, what is my responsibility with how I benefit from xenophobia? What is my responsibility, how I benefit from colorism? How do I benefit from texturism? How do I benefit from the fact that even though I have two chronic illnesses, I see, I can see, and I can hear. A lot, we're not encouraged to do that. And I want them to understand that when we interrogate anti-Blackness, it benefits all, but we have to come to terms with the fact that it's in the fabric of what we learned from beginning. Like it's in the fabric. Mm -hmm. And once you understand that, you're positioning yourself to be a really great leader across the board, even if you've never have to manage, lead a black person. So. Wow. Yeah. I, yeah, and I would add, you know, I think to your sec the second part of your question, Marisha, of like why should we have BIPOC spaces and <laughs> leadership development spaces? Part of it is for reprieve. My God, like a big part of this is reprieve. And even though we don't, this is not a monolith, like there are such varied experiences, even within communities of color, there is a common ground we can sort of come to of like, yeah, I'm exhausted. Okay. <laughs> I'm exhausted in different ways, perhaps, and that have different experiences, but like it, the white gaze is exhausting. And so. <laughs> To come to get even just to have a, some moments of reprieve together is critically important for our survival. Um, and so that's one of the reasons. And to, to start to play with and experiment with other ways of leading and showing up and that it, that it can be a space that's liberating in the sense that you can try on new ways of being, try on new ways of re even referring to yourself. Um, yeah, so we just want to we want to make it a space that feels like folks can be free. Yeah, oh, I love that. And their reprieve is so big. I really quickly, I thank you so much for bringing that into the space, Rochelle, because all the things I already said, all Rochelle said is leaders who are also like non-white, they have there's they're experiencing a sandwich experience, mm -hmm. right? There is pressure to that are put on people who are not white who are leader to not show favoritism to marginalized yeah. folks in the workplace and so they have, they're in this space where i have to prove to the hegemony that i'm not biased that i'm competent right. that i'm that i'm like and that, you know i'm not playing a race car and therefore i have to make sure that i'm hard or harder on mm. people who look like me 
because the pressure is I'm not getting the same, I'm not getting the same rewards, opportunities as my colleagues who don't have the same experience. And those types of systems offer zero reprieve. Yes. And I want them to think about that as well, right? Like I want to make sure that no, I'm also talking about like, yes, I have been at the bottom with a with a leader of color who was a trash human being, and they exist in a, a trash system. Right. <laughs> Right. And so I want them to explore with that. Right. And why? Ask the why. I want to invoke curiosity on why I adhere to these systems, why this is important to me. And I want my learners to do the same thing. Yeah. Hmm. I want to sign up for this. I'm just going to sit in and observe. <laughs> audit. Is that what they call it when you go for frame audit the course? Okay. Audit. Um, so why do you, or what? Not why do you, but what responsibility do you think organizations hold to build um, a diverse and equitable pathway for BIPOC leadership? Like, why do organ like, or is there a responsibility of organizations to create or to um, build a pathway for BIPOC leadership and being intentional in doing so? A thousand percent, because the default is that you, you know, usher in clones of yourself, like a thousand percent. <laughs> we are, we are unapologetically saying and, and boldly claiming that organizations must and ha should have been taking the responsibility to not only create pathways, pipelines, but intentionally create and foster spaces of inclusion, of belonging. Um, it's not enough to create a pipeline. It's not enough to get folks in the door. Like once right. they're there, it's, you yeah. know, then then it's, a, it's culture work. And those in leadership, I think underestimate. I've worked in senior leadership. I've worked alongside senior leaders, white senior leaders who are just shaking in their boots, like freaked <laughs> out at saying the wrong thing, freaked out at... Oh, is it like, you know, well, I want to hire this person for X, Y, Z reasons. And I don't really want to, I don't want to promote this person because, and, and I've had to reckon with, and sometimes I'm like blown away. I shouldn't be surprised. And often I was like so surprised at, at how unconscious so many white leaders are around their biases. And when it comes to promotion, when it comes to um, hiring that, it honestly is late in some ways lazy like and i'm not i'm not saying but i think that there's the fear makes it so that folks feel paralyzed of like well i don't know enough people well i don't i'm not connected to networks with like folks of color so you know that's just the way it is or so and so we should promote them because they've been here so long and i think that old boys club thing is is dying <laughs> i hope it i hope that it like that we can come into a new way of seeing talent and seeing folks for their full worth of what they bring, not just in terms of their skills, like definitely their skills, but also, I'm going on, sorry, um, just no, <laughs> their experience, like that matters. And then that creates much healthier, more dynamic, um, perhaps messy, but beautifully messy teams, right? That can work through and um, grow the work they're trying to do in the world in, I think, important ways. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. You, you made me think too. I mean, working the winner's group as long as I have, and you all have may have heard it from the clients you work with, which is, oh, we just can't find BIPOC candidates to fill these roles and all this. And it's like, I, well, what are you even trying? But and to your point, Rochelle, about the clones, right? Like they go to where they're comfortable, who they know and what, you know, this person that like they, that, maybe thinks like them, looks like them. It's like, that's who they tend to go to. And so, um, and, you know, I know this program is not about <laughs> teaching organizations. Well, in a sense, it's getting organizations to get on board to send their, send their employees he here. But I don't want to, you know, necessarily go too far off on the tangent to, to not, to where, what our program is about, but it just, I think it's important for our listeners that may be listening about like, well, why do why do I need to send anyone there? What's my responsibility? But you, you know, you touched on a lot of things and we, you know, we just hear those comments and we know it's not true. And I just, and I know this program is not gonna get to, to that part because we're um, 
we are focused on BIPOC leaders, but it's just like, how do you get the, or I mean, and as Tammy, as you said, I mean, this stuff is it's just years and years cyclical. I mean, you see the same thing over and over. And it's just like, sometimes you're like, you know, throw up your hands because, you know, we just, it's, which you said just too, Rochelle, sometimes you're just like, what, really? Like, we're still going through this? So I don't know. I just, I don't know. I don't know what I'm saying, what I'm asking. I don't know if I'm asking anything, but. Conversation. No, this is good. What do you, Rachel, what do you think? Like, what do you, yeah, I don't know. I just want to know, like, what would you say? What's your take on that? Like, what, what is the pain point for you about this? For me? Yeah. yeah. Well, for me, I mean, it's just the pain, like the point. So I think it goes back to what I was just talking about earlier, that it's just the system, like the system's still going to be in place. Correct. Right. And it's like, and I know this program, I guess this program is not to, <laughs> to, to fix that system that I'm talking about, but it's just like, which is a whole, it's just a whole nother probably conversation, but it's just how do we get folks to want to build up their bipocket, you know, want to like, right, it's just, they're just, it's frustrating because we do this work, yeah. we see the same thing and you just like, how do we get through? And I don't know. That just it just frustrates me, and so I think I mean this program. I love this program, but it's like I just they're gonna. I don't know. I don't know, y'all. I mean, just, that's, the thing. that's the human thing, that's right? That's real, and that's a human response, Marisha. And that's another piece that I think we can all. And I, I'm speaking meta because I obviously work and I'm your colleague and I work at the winners group, but like we really like me and Rochelle have talked a lot about the reality of the human experience in this, like that exact feeling that you're trying to articulate. That's something that's happened in real time in the, in the throes of the, of the development stages of this program, right? Like there's a struggle and I think just honoring and holding space so that, that that is a reality right now. And like it is, it will be cyclical and you know, um, talking, even talking to my therapist, like, hey, baby, like sometimes it's going to be a hurricane. I'm just, a, I'm a tree. I'm going to plant my roots and, and weather the storm. And I challenge myself sometimes. This is not easy. And I had a conversation with a friend about this a, a few weeks ago, and we were opposing viewpoints on this. But I'm thinking about if I just decide to remain ten toes down and who and what I believe in and what this program is about, it's giving me field of dreams, right? If I make the intention to build it, I want people to be able to come, mm -hmm. right? And what would it look like to have more BIPOC leaders be empowered in this way to build community with one another so there's less isolation and more juice, to use Terrence's word, mm -hmm. to, to make sure that, like, to increase their survivability and their impact in these spaces, right? Like, that's how far I'm pushing it back. Mm -hmm. And I, I I imagine, like, I'm trying to reimagine what that could be. What, what could it be if one, two, three, five, ten, thirty people, once they go out, what piece of the candle could they light in another person once mm -hmm. they've had this experience? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So I might not be able to be the the stadium lights at the Renaissance tour. You feel me? <laughs> but look how many how much it lit up when everybody turned their cell phones on. Mm -hmm. Right. That's my that's where I'm at right now with it. Right. Like, what would it be like to Because be, let me let me tell you, it wasn't when I was in my other organizations pre TWG, it didn't come immediately that people were, you know, supportive. It came with some pain. But guess what? There's people there right now at the organizations who are wearing their hair purple, who are being a little bit more inclusive to their leaders, who are thinking about things they didn't think about before. And that does have a impact on emotional ROI and spiritual ROI and the bottom line for real. It, yeah. The only thing is, and I'm quoting uh, our president, former president number 44, I'm quoting him, but he said something in a, in an interview, and I think it was with Hassan Minaj, I think he said, like, this is a giant ship, like a, and you are turning it a little bit, mm -hmm. but you mm -hmm. turned it enough so that it doesn't hit the Titanic. And that's what, that's my goal as, mm -hmm. a, as a creator. I love that. That was helpful too. 
Well, Marisha, if I can add, if, if I may, like you are, you are an amazing leader with our team, right? Like you're the president of the winners. Like you are, um, I think that you sh model such humanity in your leadership. And so I think ways of even just, we learn as we go, right? We take, mm -hmm. we take our experiences also at the Winters Group and apply some of that to the Empowerment Institute. So in a way, folks are experiencing some aspects of how we relate as colleagues and how, you know, the kinds of leadership we are seeing and um, experiencing that is, that is helpful. And um, I think that there's so many touch points on the curriculum from just our experience on this team that we bring to it. Yeah, thank you both. So I am going to start to wind down. I feel like we need a part two. We might bring you back, we might bring you back. Um, but I did want to, so in an earlier episode, um, you know, you, well, you all know we talk, we're talking about from empower to me power. So we're talking about because empowerment, even though we call it the Empowerment Institute, but empowerment is someone right giving you the power. And so when we flip it to the me power, it's kind of like I'm taking, you know, I own the power. I'm taking my own power in, in that. And so I wanted to end to see if you all had any a story you wanted to share or additional stories you want to share, because I think you all have shared a bit about how you do use your own, you hone in on your innate power um, in moving through through spaces. So just in closing, if there's anything that you wanted to add to that, that might encourage our listeners to, you know, to, to take their, not wait for someone to give them power to do something. So any stories or examples you have of that? Yeah, I think for me, it's subtle. It starts with my inner, my inner dialogue. So it starts with what I'm telling myself about myself. Mm. And I think from there, so from there, I can move in ways that ha I think are more boundaried, but in a loving way <laughs> um, that are more, um, I think where I'm just very aware of my innate worth and that my worth is not tied to my productivity. I love the work I do and I do my best. I like to do good work and that's not my worth. Like that's not my worth. Um, my worth is tied in something entirely different. Um, and so my innate power, I think, stems from my deep knowing of that and that I'm so much more than my job, <laughs> that I have so many more ways of connecting outside of my day-to-day -day sort of work. And also that my quality of my work relationships um, are healthy because I try to tell the truth. I try to tell like folks what I need and what's coming up for me in different conversations. So truth telling is another way that I practice that. Thank you. Thanks, Rochelle. I think, you know, um, it's a t-shirt that I've seen and I think about it often is like, um, be you, they'll adjust. Mm. Like, be you, they'll adjust. I'm no longer postponing my joy. I've said that all the time in my group. Like, even if I have to take micro appointments to myself, um, my body and my soul need it. And I just made a personal decision from years ago that I was going to, it was very, I said this before, like, this is the Roth IRI of like spiritual authenticity. Like I'm just paying up, I'm just paying the dividends up front. Text me up front. You're going to know who you're dealing with up front. And that goes back to Rochelle's point about truth, right? Like, but that came with being able to articulate who I was honestly to myself, even when it doesn't benefit me systemically, even if it doesn't make me look good in the, in the eyes of the white gaze or the hegemony, right? Um, that's difficult. Bebe, the, the think about a battery. I think about the, the idea of a battery. Like if you ever rub the two ends of the, of the battery together on the sand, what do they do? They push apart. Mm -hmm. Like authenticity. It's like magnet? Magnets? Yeah, right, yeah magnets. My bad. Okay. But like they push apart, right? With magnets. But even a battery as well. But like a magnet, they push apart. But when you put the two different ends, like the two opposite ends... It draws people together. And so I feel like there's something to be said about authenticity will push people away, <laughs> right? And if you put 
a battery and a headphone or any type of I've got, I'm dating myself, but that's not evergreen. But if you use batteries <laughs> and you put them in the wrong way, right? If, they, if you're touching the same ends together, there's no charge. <laughs> right? Right. So what would it look like to be okay to go against something that's different, but still have my charge, still have my soul, still have my light? Mm. That's what I'm thinking about. And so I think about what that looks like in the sense of weathering for people, especially Black Americans. I think about paying those deposits up front so that I can become an elder that I didn't have. Like, what type of elder do I want to be? What type of ancestor do I want to be? That time I think about that is right now. So mm. that's how I'm entering. Thank you. Thank you both. And I wanted to lift up something that both of you mentioned earlier and just to acknowledge for our listeners as well that you all and you all um, designing it also brings up experiences for you, which is painful. So I just want to recognize that and just share that it's not easy. This is not easy work when you all are designing content, whether it's for this program or other content we've had to do for our clients. That you know, I don't think ever people recognize that it bring it can bring up or stir up emotions or feelings or just whatever for you all as well. So I want to thank you for all that you're putting into this program and into the work of the Winters Group. Um, and just for our listeners to know that, you know, the, you know, these are human beings too. So we're not, it's not just right. And we have, they as they shared in this amazing episode, many lived experiences and things that bring up. And so um, I just thank you. I thank you for this program. I, um, I'm gonna. I'm going to find a way to join the program, and um, I just know it's gonna. It's it's gonna be a beautiful, beautiful thing for everybody that that attends. And so, thank you, Tammy. Thank you, Rochelle, for joining me today in this um, episode of the Inclusion Solution Live. And so that is a wrap for this episode from Empower to Me Power. Please join me next time as we further explore the differences that make a difference when it, be, when it comes to BIPOC leaders. Until next time, stay me powered. Thank you.